listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. the fret files podcast how's your uh how's your 2020 treating you pretty good is it because i tell you what it's not really going so well around <laughs> around around here well it's fine around here around here I, around the world yeah uh oh uh this i have a thing that i normally do yes indeed welcome to the fret files podcast my name is eric daw your personal guitar scientist with 25 years of experience building and repairing guitars. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. Greetings. I will read the listener-submitted questions, and Eric will try to answer them the best he can, drawing on his experience as a professional luthier. A professional what? Luthier! I am quite luthy. Uh, We have some good questions, you know. We're going to get to them. Got a lot of calls. Cool. We're going to talk about vintage washburns. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about uh, the truth about vintage amps podcast. Ooh. I love that podcast. I know uh, probably all of our listeners also listen to that show. Uh, and maybe even vice versa. I don't know. Maybe. Probably not. His, they got a popular show over there. He's got the full force of the uh, the fretboard journal magazine behind him. Mm-hmm. By the way, mm-hmm. the, the new, I just have to mention that. They're, they have a uh, an electric guitar annual mm-hmm. issue, right, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is out now. And uh, I think my article is going to be in there. Ooh. Yeah. I wrote an article about the um, 1950 Esquire that I restored, mm-hmm. and I think they're publishing it in that issue. Boy, I'm going to be embarrassed if it's not in there. I haven't seen it yet, but yeah. rumor is <laughs> rumor is that that article is in that issue, so... Order that. Okay, what are we doing? You know, I try to stay out of trouble. <laughs> I, I do a pretty good job of it. And I just, you know, I just keep to myself and work on guitars. And, you mm-hmm. know, yep. and every now and then I pop over to f- this. There's a Facebook Luthier group. And I don't even know what it's called. I think it's just called the Luthier group or something. I don't know. But I don't know. I just felt like uh, posting over there, and I I was curious if anybody else over there because I I I used to work on just anything, right? Right. But I've been busier lately, you know, over the past several years, to the point that I've decided not to work on. And I've mentioned this before, but I don't work on banjos, ukuleles, and mandolins. I just I had to draw the line somewhere, right? Right. And I just wondered if anybody else was doing that. So I posted on this Facebook Luthier group, does anybody else decline to work on banjos or am I the only jerk in the group? And I got some interesting responses. I thought we would read them to you. (laughs) Here's a sampling of some of the responses. Uh, Alex says, I don't think that makes you a jerk. There are some things that just suck. And if you're busy enough already, might as well not do the stuff you don't like. That's right. You know, this guy gets it. Yeah. He totally gets it because um, it's not that I, I mean, honestly, I joke about it, but it's not that I hate banjos or ukuleles or anything like that. I, I have the utmost respect for all instruments and all kinds of music. So it's really just the fact that I don't enjoy working on them. It's not that I hate them. And uh, if I'm busy enough that I don't have to work on them, then I don't want to. Right? Yep. 
Pete says, being a snob of any sort only limits your own knowledge. Mm, thanks, Pete. <laughs> Michael says, what's the difference between a banjo and a trampoline? You take your shoes off to jump on one. <laughs> well, Michael. <laughs> Aaron says, I accidentally left a customer's banjo in the back of my truck, and when I got back, someone threw another one in there. I love that joke. That's a great joke. Come on. <laughs> Come on. It's like vaudeville. Yeah. Bill says, Mark Twain defined a gentleman as a man who can play a banjo, but doesn't. Mm-hmm. Which I love. This next guy got all bent out of shape, and I, this is why I'm, this is why we're reading this, because it just blew my mind. Sean says, wow, what a bunch of snobs. I'm sad that so many contributors to this thread seemingly have nothing but contempt for a great instrument, one that came to the U.S. with slavery, one that has been incredibly popular in the Americas almost continuously for 300 years. And, by the way, I've been playing the banjo for 55 years. Glad to be able to make such joyful music. I'll go out on a limb and say that those of you who have such contempt for such a great instrument are seriously shortchanging your clients. By deliberately rejecting knowledge and appreciation in the world of Luthery. I guess he told me. Yep. It just makes... I mean, I bet this guy is just such a joy at parties. <laughs> Can you, have you ever heard such tedium What if Sean listens to our podcast? Sean doesn't listen to this podcast. He plays banjo for crying out loud. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sean. Uh, no, look. It's not that I... Am pro slavery, Sean. I mean, look, did you see what he wrote? Yeah. So it's not that I'm a, a a snob or a bigot or that I'm pro slavery. Are you kidding me with this nonsense? <laughs> all right, go ahead. Phil says, personally, I worked on all stringed instruments. I have no time for snobs and bigots. Jeez. And David says, refusing to work on banjos is not smart. A great repair person should be able and willing not to limit their own ability. It just makes me laugh that these dudes who are supposedly in my same profession, right? Right. You would think, you would think that they would say, hey, good for you. You're, you're busy. You're busy enough to work on what you want. And you're turning down work that I enjoy. So more for me, right? Yeah. Right. And how about this? It's my business. I I work for myself. It's my shop. I get to decide what I work on and what I don't. You think I'm shortchanging my clients? I just don't understand. Why do I attract these kind of people? So if you guys want to defend the historical significance of the banjo to Eric Daw, please email us. Don't you got it's it's not even about the banjo. I'm not a I'm not a banjo player and it's not my passion. Would here's what I don't understand. You would think that these guys who are chastising me for not taking banjo work, you would think that these guys would say, Good for you. Plus, take your banjo to someone whose passion is banjo. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, it's just, it just blows my mind. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. That's as close as I get to arguing politics with people. Banjos. <laughs> Seriously. You know? I mean, I just don't have time for this nonsense. All right. Let's, uh, let's take a call, shall we? Let's do it. Hi, Eric and Melissa. This is Steve from Florida. Listen to you guys all the time. Great listening. Thank you. Uh, appreciate everything that you do. Got a question about a Gibson 335, the 2009. Looking at it on reverb, the seller uh, with the photos posted shows that it has scratches on the front and the back of the guitar. Everything appears to be uh, uh, where it needs to be. Uh, looks original. The seller claims that everything functions on it, but I'm concerned about these scratches. Is it realistic to think that in a nitrocellulose finish, you can lessen or even get rid of some of those kinds of scratches? Some of them are probably six inches or more in length, 
going up uh, up to both the front and the back of the guitar. I don't know what happened to this thing, whether it was dragged through the sand or, or what the story is. But if you could uh, give me your opinion about that, I sure would appreciate it. Again, thank you both. Uh, love listening to you guys. Thank you. Right on. Thanks for the call. Uh, it depends on how deep the scratches are. Uh, and he, I didn't see the pictures, so I don't know. If it's down to the wood or, you know, something like that, then no, that's going to be pretty hard to, I mean, it could be touched up, but, um, yeah, if they're just, if they're just surface scratches, absolutely. You know, you can wet sand and polish lacquer really easily. Um, so yeah, if they're, you know, deep, but not through the finish, it can be it could be polished, and if they're very deep, maybe not polished out, but I'm sure it could be made to look better, especially if nobody's even tried. But, um, yeah, again, it just depends on how deep they are. That's weird. I guess somebody dragged that thing behind a truck or something, huh? Yeah. Uh, what am I doing? This poor computer, man. The computer that I do this podcast on is on its last legs. Let's see if we can make it through another episode here. Hey, Eric and Melissa. It's your friend Jason from Mercer Island. Um, got a question for you, but first, I uh, just wanted to say uh, I'm now a proud owner of both a T-style and an F-style pinup guitar, and uh, nice. they're both awesome. I've been gigging around Seattle and uh, showing off all my friends, and everyone's super impressed, and I'm just crazy about them, so thanks again. Great job. Thank you. Uh, on to my question. So I've been uh, uh, working on building a one of those double-bound uh, 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 T-style custom guitars, mm-hmm. and I'm having a hell of a time getting my binding lines looking crisp and sharp. Um, I got one of those binding knives from Stu Mac, and I'm trying to sharpen it and get it to work well. I've also used just flat razors, but every time I try and kind of get that real sharp line that, you know, you get it from the factory, it ends up kind of looking a little jagged and a little rough around the edges. So I'd love to hear from you on how you get those, like, real sharp, crisp binding lines um, and your process for you know, spraying and then cutting the binding strips, getting the, you know, getting the spray off and making it look real sharp. And so uh, any advice you have uh, for someone like me who's just kind of having a hell of a time making it look good would be great. Thanks, man. Take care. Yeah. Um, To scrape binding when I'm, you know, like sometimes you are replacing binding on a neck or you're doing it on a body or whatever you're doing. uh, You know, I I typically, um, when I go to scrape it, and make a nice, clean, smooth line, I typically use uh, razor blades. That's typically what I use. And really, it's just a matter of practice. It just takes practice. It's I, I sympathize with you. I know it's it's hard to get uh, those, those clean lines, but it's just like anything else we do. Fret work or, you know, uh, making a nut um, or making a saddle. It just takes practice. You know, the first first time or two is is going to be the worst that you do and then you're going to get better from there so um yeah i i uh i i really i don't use any super special tools when i install binding and then and then uh, trim it down i typically use razor blades there's all kinds of different ways to do it though and what i would suggest is just experiment and find what works best for you because sometimes, you know, one guy's method isn't going to be necessarily your method. So just experiment and see what works best for you. Uh, what, did he have another question? Oh, yeah. When you So when you're painting, then what I do is I mask, you know, like what you're doing is a telly body. So it'll have on the sides, the binding is wide. And on the top, the, the binding is very thin. I mask off the wide side so i only mask off the sides when i have some really thin masking tape so you can either cut thin strips or you can use a really thin tape but um you mask that off and then you do your color then you can take the tape off and you'll have paint on the on the back and then and on the front of the guitar and then again i take a blade i just take a razor blade and uh i go through razor blades like crazy as soon as they're a little bit dull, I throw them away and use a fresh one. They're so cheap uh, that I like to always grab a fresh one, right? So the the sides of the guitar should be paint-free because you masked them off, Mm -hmm. and then the back and the front, 
you'll just take a blade and just scrape just the edge, and you can get a real nice clean line just scraping the paint off of that binding. Wow. That sounds like a pain in the butt. It is. That's why I don't typically do bound guitars, but um, I've I've sure done my share of binding work, and it's not something I enjoy. Like banjos. (laughs) No, it's not something I enjoy, but I do it. Especially, I've probably done necks more than anything, you know. Sometimes you have to rebind a bound neck. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's never, it's not my favorite job, but it's it's enjoyable to get it right, you know. Mm -hmm. It's kind of fun that way. Anyway, thanks for the call. Hey, Eric and Melissa, this is Warren from up in Alberta. Hope everything's going well down there in the great state of Idaho. It um, is. Thank you. Just following up with you on this harmony, this old harmony acoustic I have and with the nasty residue. Oh, this is the guy with the tape residue on his mm-hmm. harmony. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, your method worked extremely well. I just took a little bit of rubbing alcohol and tested it in a small area first and then um, applied it to that kind of the whole area over the old crusty residue there. Hmm. And it softened it up just enough to where I could scrape it off um, using the razor blade and uh, scotch tape trick. So I really appreciate that advice. Perfect. And uh, got pretty much all of it off. I might try to get a little more off. There's just a little haze left maybe um, before I try to finish it but um, or touch it up. And that kind of leads into my follow-up question. Um, I do want to try to apply some kind of finish over that, the bare wood and hopefully make it blend in a bit more. I think it'll blend in okay because it's kind of a natural, you know, satin finish, real thin, like you had mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really a finished guy. I haven't done a lot. Um, you know, mainly my guitar repair is structural and that nature versus cosmetic and finish repair. So, <clears throat> excuse me, just wondering what kind of advice you might have on what kind of finish I could apply to that. Um one idea is I just might do a, a very light overspray of the entire top, um, you know, just to kind of make it blend a little bit better. And uh, another idea would just be to kind of work on that one upper belt area where the damage is. So any advice you might have, you know, would be appreciated. I don't really know what kind of finish it is, uh, so I have no idea what I could overspray over existing finish and whatnot, but maybe you have some some advice on on how to approach this and I don't have a lot of equipment for you know mm. finishing <laughs> so you know it has to be kind of at that level uh, but yeah I appreciate it and great podcast uh, really appreciate it and love listening every time you guys put one out and uh, look forward to hearing from you take care thank you thanks for calling uh, I would not start with overspraying the whole top maybe that could be Maybe that could be like a last ditch effort if you if you if you fail at this. If I remember right, this is a really cool old harmony that's got like like one of those weird birch ones with the uh, the screen printed the grain going through it, and it's got a screen printed image on the bottom, mm-hmm. like hula girl girls or something really cool. I can't remember what it had on there, but a screen printed you know image yeah. of some kind, um, and just that upper bout on the base side. Uh, had tape residue and some finish missing. So, um, that's an old enough guitar. I I think we talked about this before. I don't think it's shellac because he used alcohol mm-hmm. and uh, didn't disturb the finish too much. Right. Right. Um, I would consider. Uh, I. He says he doesn't have a whole lot of equipment. Hmm. How yellowed was that finish? I don't remember the picture. It if if the finish was really clear and the color where there's finish gone and where there's finish there, if the color is pretty close, then I would just spray a little bit of lacquer on there. You can get a touch-up can of lacquer from Stuart McDonald or from Re-Ranch or you can even go down to, you know, your your hardware store and buy a just a rattle can of lacquer. Probably not your number one choice, but it can be done. Um, but if that's if that lacquer is tinted just a little bit, 
and it probably is because it yellows over time, you're going to want to try to match that. And the only way to do that is really to mix it yourself. And you can't do that with a, a spray can from Stuart McDonald. So um, you could either buy some tinted lacquer, which they do sell, but uh, it's probably got too much tint in it. It's like, you know, they have tinted lacquer uh, for fender necks that mm -hmm. has quite a bit of amber in it. Yeah. That's probably going to be too orange, too yellow for you. Um, if you can mix some yourself, you you can get a, what's called a preval spray unit. And it's literally, it's a, like a spray can, but you can mix it yourself. Mm -hmm. It has a little powered air thing on it. I mean, by powered, I mean it's compressed air in, in a little canister. Oh. And then you screw it onto a jar and you can, it's like a one-time use spray can. Oh, okay. So you can mix up your own color and use it. Preval. P-R-E-V-A-L. A little Preval spray unit. Mm -hmm. So you could mix up some lacquer there and uh, and touch it up that way. The other way to do it would be maybe to try to um, use just light stain and try to make the color all match before you spray some clear over it this is this is tricky stuff to do and it's <laughs> it's hard to just break it down into a two minute you know overview of how you should touch up your vintage guitar i typically don't recommend people do this but this is a guitar that's not particularly valuable and the damage has been done so do what you can um i'm sure some people might even recommend maybe a french polish just in that one area if you want to read about how to do a French polish, maybe you could you could think about that, too. But um, anyway, those are my suggestions. I hope that some of that resonates with you. I don't know. It's hard to give advice on 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 something like that. That's that's finish touch up is a tricky thing, man. Thanks for the call. Hey, Eric and Melissa. Um, I'm calling for two reasons. First of all, uh, unsolicited ad for pinup guitars. Ever since I got mine, wow, another one. I've been using it constantly. Um, I, I just finished recording for like the last four hours here, um, and I'd say I used my my pinup about eighty percent of the time. And those that five way switch is just awesome, and the pickups are amazing. Got some great feedback at at low volumes. So if anyone out there is considering it, you should do it. Wow. Um, Th I just want to stop this and say thank you. You guys are so nice. <laughs> thank you, uh, and uh, I just. I really appreciate it. Um, on to the question. So I was just calling to kind of get your take. Um, I've got two old pickups that I contacted you about that I'm going to have you rewind. Uh, one of them uses the enamel wire and one of them uses the form var wire. Mm -hmm. um, when I rewind them, I kind of want to do it that they're both in the early 60s style. Do you have any take on the kind of tonal differences between form var and enamel and uh you know, what What you think would be better for kind of a early 60s Mustang Duosonic type pickup. Hmm. Uh, that's it. So enjoy the podcast. Take care, guys. Right on. Uh, form VAR versus enamel-coated pickup wire. Absolutely. There's uh, Fender used both, and it depends on the pickup, and it depends on the era. So, uh, But they did use both. Um, to my ear, and you could go on any number of forums and read any number of opinions about this. And it all does just come down to opinion. I mean, when anything, when you're talking about tone just comes down to uh objective, you know, or is it subjective, 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 subjective opinion. But, um, but I do have some reasons for my opinion. Uh, the, the coding on form var wire is a little bit thicker than the coding on enamel wire. So, what that means is the the actual wire itself, the copper part of the wire, on a form var pickup, there's a little bit more space in between each turn of wire because the coating is thicker, right? Enamel wire is thinner, so the pickup wire is actually closer together. Uh, and what that translates into is... Um, 
that uh, high frequencies tend to get toned down just a little bit with the enamel wire. Uh, so form var to my ear, and th these are subtle differences, but form var is a tiny bit brighter, and enamel is a tiny bit darker. Um, but they're they're subtle, very subtle differences, and they both sound excellent. And what I typically do, and what I typically recommend, is that um, if we're rewinding a vintage pickup, we use the same wire that we used that it that it had originally, just to retain its originality as much as possible. But if there's any reason that you wanted to go, it's your pickup. If you want form var on both of them or enamel on both of them, we can do that. But um, that's the tonal differences to my ear. Form var, little bit brighter. Enamel, a little bit warmer. Interesting. Yeah, to break it down for you. And it's because of the crosstalk of the electrons flowing through the wire and how close they are, how close the layers are to to each other. Hmm. Does that make any sense? Sure, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's my opinion. And uh, we have one more call. Hey, Eric and Mel. It's Jason from Mercer Island one more time. Uh, with one more uh, non-guitar-related question for you, um, uh. I wanted to get your take on the medical condition impacting a lot of guitar players, uh, known as guitar face. Uh, guitar face. you experience yourself personally? Uh, how do you feel about it? Uh, <laughs> uh, any players uh, whom you admire that have got a strong guitar face? Uh, that's about it. Take care. <laughs> do I have a will guitar you, face? Will you tell me, first of all, what that means? Like a face that you make when you're making, when well, you're playing yeah, guitar? you've seen, yeah, sure, yeah. Okay, then... Yes, you definitely have a guitar face. Really? Yes, without a doubt. Do I look like a doofus? Distinctive. <laughs> no. Because most guys do. You know, the when they're. Like, yeah. I'm making a face. For yeah. The, you can't see it at home. I understand. But you uh, just made your guitar face exactly. <laughs> no, I did yes, not. Yes, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> no, your guitar face <laughs> is eyes closed. <laughs> And your face is long. Your your jaw drops. Your mouth is still closed. Your jaw drops, but your mouth is still closed, and your uh, eyebrows go up. Well, I did not know that. <laughs> uh, music, making music, playing guitar, playing an instrument is a form of meditation, right? Right. And you're not thinking about your body. You're not thinking about a face you're making. If you're really into it, you're only think you're only focused on the sounds and on where your body meets the instrument. And the, Melissa's rolling her eyes here. She thinks that this is getting I a little far off. Do not. I totally understand. I'm not a musician, but I know that feeling in other things. Yeah. And I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. So, I apparently make a guitar face. <laughs> this is news to me. That's that's guitar news, and uh, we're going to take a break. Oh, hey. I got news for you. Ooh. This episode of the Fret Files podcast is brought to you by Apex Coffee Roasters. Based in Waco, Texas, Apex Coffee Roasters searches the globe for the best coffee beans available roasting them in-house to unlock the natural aromas and flavors that make each cup an individual experience. Order Apex Coffee online. Fret Files listeners can use the promo code PINUP at checkout to receive 10% off from apexcoffeeroasters.com. Hey, life happens. Coffee helps. apexcoffeeroasters.com. It's good stuff. We've been drinking it every day. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back. Hey guitar nerds, you probably already know that I make custom leather guitar straps. All of my straps are handcrafted from design all the way to completion. You can see examples of my past work on my Instagram account, that's at MelcoLeather. Visit MelcoLeather.com now to get free shipping on orders of $35 or more within the U.S. That's MelcoLeather.com, M-E-L-C-O-Leather.com.
If you're at all curious about my guitar repair services or my custom guitars, you can check out my websites, ericdaw.com. That's more the repair side of things. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. I would love to help you with that tricky repair or restoration. You know, maybe you don't have somebody in your area, or maybe you've got a very valuable guitar that you don't want to trust to just anybody. And the guitars that I make are at pinupcustomguitars.com. That's pinup, like pinup girl, P-I-N-U-P. I offer worldwide service uh, on repairs. People send me repairs from all over the country and, uh, well, even internationally. And I definitely send guitars all over the world. So if you're curious about what I do and want to learn more, that's how to check it out. ericdaw.com and pinupcustomguitars.com. Melissa is still laughing at me. I'm not sure why. Are you laughing about Guitar Face? No, I'm laughing about uh, when you started the ad and you said Rafi coasters. I did. <laughs> the last the last episode, you picked up the ad and you said Apex Rafi coasters. Well, and now that's all I can think we, of when you say the ad. We edited that out, and so the listener doesn't know. I'm sorry that I that I made that mistake. If you're wondering why I'm <laughs> laughing, that's why I'm laughing. The whole time I'm trying to read this ad, you're laughing at me, <laughs> and that's why. Okay, well now I know. That's good. Letters, we get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Hi, Eric. I know you've said that you listened to the TAVA podcast with Skip Simmons mm-hmm. and Jason Verlindi, but did you happen to hear Skip's claim on a recent episode about Eric Johnson? Supposedly, Eric Johnson can hear a difference when you take out the pilot light in a fender amp, rotate it 180 degrees, and reinstall it. He claims that there is a sonic difference, not necessarily one that sounds better and the other sounds worse, but that there is a difference in tone somehow. <laughs> Skip, whom I respect, says he wouldn't argue with someone like Eric Johnson, and I can understand that. However, something tells me that you would, you would have no problem arguing with Eric Johnson about this, <laughs> and I would love to hear your thoughts about whether you think this phenomenon <laughs> is real or not. Love the show. So, cheers, Jim in Arizona. Okay. Thanks, Jim. Who's Eric Johnson, first of all? Uh, Eric Johnson is a uh, world-famous, renowned uh, Texas guitar player. Oh, okay. Excellent guitar player. Okay. And he's a pro. I mean, he's top-notch. It doesn't get much higher. Eric Johnson is a fabulous guitar player. But no, this phenomenon is not real. There you go, Jim. Yeah. You I mean, expound on that. Well, and I they even touched on it uh, recently in a in a different episode of the Truth About Vintage Amps, but a, an astute caller called in with the same thing that I was thinking, which is, um, <laughs> electrically, it's exactly the same. There's two contacts on that on that bulb, and taking it out and rotating it doesn't change anything. One of the contacts is the base of the bulb, and the other is those two pins. And rotating it does absolutely zero. It's like saying it's like saying if you take your fuse out and flip it around and then put it back in that your tone is going to be different. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's absolutely absurd. And Skip knows better. Here's the deal. I love Skip, and I respect the tar out of Skip. He knows what he's talking about. But Skip's deal is that he does not argue with pro players. You may have picked up on that on from his podcast, from their podcast, but he does not argue with pro players. If a pro player tells him something, he says, hey, I'm just an amp tech. You are Eric Johnson. I'm not going to argue with that. But you are Eric Daw. <laughs> well, I'm nobody. I'm just a guitar doctor. I'm just a simple country guitar doctor. But what I'm but, saying is that you will argue with Eric Johnson. Well, I'm not an amp tech either, so... <laughs> uh, let me tell you a story. This In an article I read in the 90s in, like, you know, Guitar World or one of these magazines, they were interviewing one of Hendrix's old um, roadies, you know, one of his old uh, assistants or okay. tech guy, you know, something... And uh, they were going through wah-wah pedals, right? Mm-hmm. And Hendrix was trying to get Hendrix was trying to get his sound dialed in, and the guy brought him a wah-wah pedal, 
and Hendrix says, No, this one doesn't sound right, man, but get, grab a different one. So the guy went back and grabbed a different one. Hendrix just says, No, man, this one isn't right. Go get another one. So they open up another fresh box, new Vox Wawa pedal, here you go, or whatever it was, a Dunlop crybaby, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Here you go, Jimmy. No, man, this one ain't right either. Grab another one. So instead of grabbing an, another new Wawa pedal out of the box, the guy played a trick on Hendrix. He gave Hendrix, he, he pretended like he went to get a new Wawa, but he gave Jimmy the very first Wawa he tried out again. Uh-huh. Hendrix says, yeah, that's it. That's the sound. That's This one's got the sound. See, that's what it should have sounded like the first time. Guitar heroes are just people. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And just because they think they hear something, it's if it if it goes against physics, then who are you going to agree with? Right. The laws of physics or Eric Johnson or Jimi Hendrix, right? Right. So sometimes things are uh nonsense. Okay. <laughs> and you have to be able to say, look, I'm sorry, but I think that that's nonsense. There's things that make a difference, things that don't. That being said, I am nowhere near the guitar player Eric Johnson is. He is a guitar god. And if he wants to believe that flipping a bulb around makes a difference, then great. That's great. Mm-hmm. Fine. But here's the other thing. Guys like that, sometimes like to mess with people. That's true, too. This could have just been one of those apocryphal things where the pro is messing with somebody, you know? Like, hey, you know what I like to do? (laughs) I like to take my instrument cable, flip it around, and now see the, the end that was plugged into my guitar? Now it's plugged into the amp. Check out, it sounds different. Hear that difference? You got to choose which way, man. Tell everybody you know that I said this. (laughs) You know, it could have been one of those things. I don't know. But no, as soon as I heard that, I thought, what? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jim. Hello, I heard on a recent show that you called a 90s Washburn an inferior guitar. Oh my God, I'm such a jerk. And it prompted me to write in and ask your opinion of Washburn's throughout the years. I don't think I said that. Did I say that? You absolutely said that. Do you like the current Washburn guitars? The original Washburn company from the early 20th century made quality parlor guitars. Have you ever had any of those on your bench? What do you think of them? Thanks. That's from Alex. Thanks, Alex. Uh, So, yeah, the current Washburn company has has nothing to do with those old washburns. See, the old washburns are great. I I have a couple, actually. Mhm. Um they're fabulous. Uh new washburns that I, you know, I don't know when the company changed hands or somebody revived the brand, I think, but no, those are just like cranked out of a of cranked out of a factory in China that um you know, I mean they're fine. They're great to learn on, or they're they're a good little camping guitar or something. But no, they're not they're not anywhere near the quality of the old Washburns. So don't think I was calling all Washburns crummy because they're certainly not. And the modern Washburn company they make some decent stuff. It's fine. It's you know, it's just not it's not like you know masterpiece guitars, right? Right. Uh, but I looked up some history just to share with you guys, just for fun. Um. If you look in one of those old Washburns, it'll say George Washburn, right? Uh, And George Washburn, Washburn was actually his middle name. His name was George Washburn Lyon, L-Y-O-N. And he was not a guitar maker, but he was a businessman. And his partner, P.J. Healy, was the guitar maker. So Lyon and Healy, they started a company called Lyon and Healy, and it was the Chicago branch of the Oliver Ditson Company. Uh, which was a very large uh, sheet music distribution company. Lyon and Healy started manufacturing guitars in the late 1880s. 
Healy supervised the factory, which during their peak production years turned out as many as a hundred guitars per day. They were the main supplier of stringed instruments for many various mail-order catalogs, such as Montgomery Ward and Sears, uh, until Harmony and Kay assumed that distinction years later, right, in the 20s. But um, Lion and Healy was kind of the original jobber guitar company that supplied these mail-order catalogs with with um, with guitars. And so sometimes they made guitars that had other brand names on them, you know, whatever people, whatever, uh, whatever people ordered and wanted them to say. Uh, but the, the Washburn brand was sold to the Tonk Brothers. And the Tonk Brothers also owned Regal. Uh, and that was sold, so in the late 20s. Um, so Regal made guitars under the Washburn label for a few years after that, and then the brand was just discarded, sadly. Uh, and the original Washburn brand disappeared in the 30s. So uh, then it was revived. Okay, here we go. The brand name was revived in 1964 by Roland. There's no connection whatsoever between the current Washburn brand guitars and the Washburns of the 19th and 20th century. That was just something I found on the internet. And this is from the uh, Vintage Guitar Price Guide. This is their little blurb on Washburn, the Lion and Healy years. They say 1880s to circa 1949. Hmm. And here's another thing. Trying to date one of these early Washburns is really difficult. Is it? Some of them have serial numbers. They're not. You can't look them up. There's not a database. There's apparently the factory burned down at some point, and Whoa. all that information was lost. And yeah, anyhow, this is what the uh, vintage guitar blue book price guide says about Lion and Healy Washburns. Washburn was founded in Chicago as one of the lines for Lion and Healy to promote high quality stringed instruments, circa the 1880s. The rights to manufacture Washburns were sold to J.R. Stewart company in 1928, but the rights to the Washburn name was sold to the Tonk Brothers of Chicago in the Great Depression, about 1930. J.R. Stewart Company was hit hard and declared bankruptcy. Tonk Brothers bought at auction all Stewart trade names, then sold them to Regal Musical Instrument Company, and uh, Regal built Washburns by the mid-30s. The Tonk Brothers still licensed the name. These Washburn models lasted until circa 1949, and this source says in 1962, the brand resurfaced on a line of imports from Roland. So, but these, uh, they made, you know, some of their guitars are gorgeous. The early ones, a lot of them had Brazilian rosewood, um, well-made guitars. And some of the vintage ones are three, $4,000. Uh, they're, they're nice guitars. They were not as nice as Martin's, but kind of a contemporary of Martin. Cool. Yeah. <clears throat> Eric and Melissa, I hope you and your boys are well in sunny Idaho Falls. Mm -hmm. I have a question about intonation. I was listening to a podcast about guitar setup, and the guy mentioned not only checking intonation at the 12th fret, but also checking at the 5th fret and 17th frets to really fine-tune. I've never heard of this. I do the string open and at the 12th fret, fret and make saddle adjustments and call it good. Do you go beyond checking intonation at the 12th fret? If so, please explain how that works or if you've ever heard of this. Let me answer that. Sure. Um, I've heard people mention it, and I don't get it. The only time I go beyond that is, uh, you know, I, I do the open string and then the 12th fret because any harmonic along this string is going to be... Um, a harmonic and it's going to be you know you could remove the frets from the guitar and the the harmonics are going to be the same right so the 12th fret harmonic is just fine so you can stop there sometimes you get a guitar where um it's playing sharp anyway because of it has nut problems so sometimes to take the nut out of the equation I'll put a capo on the first fret and then then check the string open and the what would be the 13th fret harmonic because you're capoed up one. Uh, and sometimes I'll do that just to see how it's playing fretted, you know, taking the nut out of the equation. But that's the only other harmonic I ever 
mess around with when I'm doing intonation. I've noticed the topic of dad blues has come up a few times lately. Oh. It's tough being a blues fan because very few things we would truly consider blues have happened after 1968, with a few exceptions, of course. Mm -hmm. So we listen to the same stuff over and over and over. There's I, a lot of it, though, man. Oh, yeah. I have two recommendations for something newer that could be called dad blues. I think we can all feel good about <laughs> James Cotton and Charlie Musselwhite. Oh, yeah. I've, I've actually seen both at Jazz Alley in Seattle with my dad. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. James Cotton, Cottonmouth Man, 2013 Alligator Records, a little overproduced, but absolutely kicks ass. Harp sound on the record is unbelievable. He passed away sort of recently. Same record label as Hound Dog yeah. Taylor. James Cotton is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlie Musselwhite, yeah. Stand Back, 1967, Vanguard Records, great place to start. He's made lots and lots of records since, and he's still out there doing it. Go see him if you can, and bring your dad. Charlie also plays harmonica on some cool Tom Waits records as well, like Get Behind the Mule. Yeah, man. Sorry for the long email. It's been a while. That's from Zach in Seattle. Right on, Zach. Thanks. Yeah, Musselwhite's all over all kinds of records, and so is... James Cotton, for that matter. Um, he played with uh, Muddy Waters. Wow. And then Charlie Musselwhite, he's, he shows up on so many records. Yeah, these guys are, they're just top-notch. That's not dead blues at all. These guys are, these guys are the real deal, top-notch uh, blues harmonica players. Cool. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Zach. I'm putting a water slide decal on the headstock of a parts caster of mine. What can I do to protect it? Is it possible to buy a small can of clear lacquer that I can spray over it so that it doesn't get damaged or dry up and flake off? And if so, what is the best method to apply it? That's from Cartwright. Cool. Thanks, Cartwright. Well, we talked about it a little bit in the in the podcast earlier, but yeah, you can get a just a spray can of lacquer from Stuart McDonald or from Re-Ranch or from a lot of different places. So yeah, you can just spray it right over it. There's a couple different ways to do it, depending on the decal. Some of, some of those have to be sprayed before you put them on. Um, a lot of guys are making decals on inkjet printers, and uh, they're, not, they're not that great a quality, really. And, <clears throat> and if you, when you dump them in water, the ink just <laughs> comes off. The ink just floats off. Jeez. But I'm assuming you have one of the nicer quality uh, decals that doesn't need to be lacquered before you put it on. But there's a couple ways to do this. You can still, you can just lacquer it before you put it on, and that way you don't have to paint the whole headstock, but the decal has a film of lacquer over it, and that'll kind of protect it. Or you can put the decal on and then spray the whole headstock. Um, you can do it either way. But, yeah, a few coats and uh, maybe a light sand and buff, and you should be good. Cool. Thanks, Cartwright. Thanks, Cartwright. Thanks for the show. You guys are my huckleberry. <laughs> I'll be rewiring a 335 this week. I have successfully done this procedure with a couple semi-hollows before, but I am hoping that Eric may have some tips or tricks that I may not be aware of. Best to the fan. That's from Jay, and he is east of the Rockies. <laughs> All right, Jay. That's funny because your your uh, your question came in on the wild card line. Nah, don't call the wrong line, Jay. Uh, the yeah, I mean the best thing to do is just make a little template and and wire up the uh, electronics that way. I mean you can just do it at a cardboard, right? Just. Poke the ho poke holes in the cardboard where the pots and the and the uh, switch would be, and then you can wire it up with uh, the pots and everything mounted to the cardboard. That'll give you a good template. That's probably the best advice I could give you. Other, I mean, it's just a pain in the rear end, man. Getting the getting the electronics out of there and getting them back in there. Um, but typically, what I do um, is uh, just work them in there and then. You know, you can there. You can stick your fingers in the uh, the hole there and push the pots up. Or if you can't quite reach them, you can tie some string or some fishing line or something to the pot, and then you can pull it through the hole that way. 
it's it's never fun. Yeah. You know, a, a Strat or a Les Paul or a Tele is just so much easier to, to rewire. But yeah, 335s are tricky, man. That's that's the best tips I've got for you. Anyhow, that does it for this episode of the Fret Files podcast. Thanks a bunch for listening. Thanks for participating. If you want to take part in the show, you can go to my website, ericdaw.com. Click the contact link. Send in your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call 757-774-8482. You can call or text 757-774-8482. And uh, we'll we'll use your voicemail on the show. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Good night.